this episode. Right, and you're trying to pull out the gender biases that are in the work. Essentially, they had more complex travel paths. A car could drive through six inches of new snow uh, quite easily, no troubles. Uh, whereas, you know, pushing a pram through six inches of new snow, the injuries just plummeted. I say that. Oh, wrist risk. I sort of call it a, a data sandwich, unless it's a perfect oh. story. Oh. Is that what you're saying, Ooh. Mark? Stories are a delivery mechanism for, for your data. All right, well, fire away. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. And so, Sean, your turn with the story this week. Indeed, it is. Uh, so, this story comes from a little town in Sweden, actually. It's 2011. The town's called Kalskoga. It's about a three hour drive west of Stockholm. Small town, 27,000 people. And they're doing a sort of a, a look at all their policies and procedures, you know, their town hall is looking at all the, the things they do in relation to gender, right? And they're trying to pull out the gender biases that are in the work and 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 in the laws and, and legislation in that particular town. And one of the bureaucrats kind of joked saying, oh, at least the snow clearing was something the gender people won't will keep their noses out of. And of course, the, the group that was looking at it went, oh, snow clearing, we should take a look at that. <laughs> Of course. And they look at it and, you know, you, you know, snow clearing is a pretty straightforward process. It starts with, you know, looking at the, the you start clearing the biggest roads first and then the, the next roads are sort of down, down to you get to the, the smallest laneways and then eventually the, you know, the bike paths and the, and, and the footpaths, for example. Now, when they looked at that, they quickly worked out that um, it was primarily the guys who would get in their cars and you, in the beginning of the day, drive to work on the biggest roads, stay there all day and drive home. Whereas it was the women who were primarily using the smaller footpaths, the laneways, the, uh, the small roads and the bike paths because they were taking kids to school. They were you know, doing carers uh, activities. They were going to the shops essentially they had more complex travel paths. And when the researchers looked at, you know, sort of the data behind this, it was pretty clear that this happened, you know, across a broad range of cities. In France, two-thirds of public transport were women. In Philadelphia, 64%, Chicago, 63%. And, and because they have these more complex travel paths, you know, women were, you know, like three in London, three times more likely to take their kids to school. Uh, 24, 25% more likely to trip chain. And trip chain is where you use different transport mechanisms. You know, you might walk part of it. You might jump on a bus, jump on a train, uh, all those different things, just more complex uh, travel paths on all these lots of smaller, you know, roads. Um, anyway, the policy sort of uh, makers in, in this town said, look, it's not going to cost us anything. Why don't we just reverse the order? Because quite frankly, a, a car could drive through six inches of new snow uh, quite easily, no troubles. Uh, whereas, you know, pushing a pram through six inches of new snow, it was, it's going to be hard work. In fact, um, yeah, it's going to be dangerous, quite frankly. Well, they reversed the order. And lo and behold, the thing they didn't realise was just going to be such a big change was the injuries just plummeted that they were having across their travel network because people were, you know, slipping and sliding and 
you know, falling over, breaking, breaking hips, wrists, of course, are really big, uh, uh, I guess, uh, risk in risks are risks. There you go. I say that. Oh, wrist risk. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and yeah, so injuries really went down, costs went down, they ended up saving the city an enormous amount of money. Uh, so yeah, I, I saw that and I thought, gee, isn't it interesting that, you know, some of these biases are so hidden. I don't think that he would have even, uh, you know, looked at snow clearing unless that person made that joke, right? So yeah. it's, it's really everywhere. And I found this story in a book called Invisible Women uh, by a lady called Caroline Criado Perez. So if you want to check it out, it's full of of these terrific stories of of you know, things you just wouldn't expect that were actual gender biased and 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 are and and you know cities again around the world are starting to look at changing these things. Not just cities. It makes me kind of just amplifies the concern about the number of these invisible assumptions, the invis- invisible biases that uh, that play out in our decision making, and and we don't even think of it because you know really snow clearing i wouldn't think of that and yet embedded in the process was a significant um, uh, uh, disadvantage yeah yeah absolutely i you know I, the reason why i got attracted to this story mark was you know i'm sort of doing some modifications to our data storytelling program and and i was looking at this of i, I was actually looking for examples of aha moments right where People didn't expect something to happen, and then it became, you know, an insight was created, you know, a story that had an insight. But, you know, as I was looking at the story, I thought, gee, this is an interesting story pattern. I, st- I sort of call it a, a data sandwich, right? So you essentially sandwich the, the statistics in the middle of that story, right, and wrap it around with this, you know, with the narrative. So you have the starting point of the situation, and by the end of the story, you've resolved it and you've got this really interesting insight. But right in the middle, you've filled it up with with statistics. Now, if you were to just list those statistics without the story, they'd be dead boring, right? Oh, and and you wouldn't take them in. There'd be no very little context, no emotion, and... It would be not only boring, but difficult to comprehend. The p- the point would be much harder to make. Yeah, it didn't have the context, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, I I just love it. That story is such a brilliant delivery mechanism. Well, it's a good example of how any you know any story can be a great delivery mechanism for data. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I grabbed onto that and I thought, yeah, that that could be a. A good ones. So anyway, I've been I've been teaching it in the data storytelling program recently, which has been good fun. Um, but let's go to what we like about this story, Mark, and um, what sort of things jump out at you for, as a story. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you some of the things that I that I the the the, the types of injuries. First of all, uh, as soon as you said uh, injuries uh, falling and wrists, I was like, "Yep," because I was in Minis- uh, Minneapolis a couple of years ago, working with the CFO of a global company, and I called one of his team members a, a, a week or so after leaving. And uh, the CFO had fallen uh, on uh, entering the building and broken his wrist. Like, oh, ah. Slipped on the ice. He slipped on the ice just because yeah. uh, you know, yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, so must be man. a big problem in those sort of places, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, so one of the things was... I one of the things I put into the story, which is not there 
you know, in the sort of written version, if you like, in Invisible Women, is I wanted to give a little bit of context about where this little town was. I've been to Stockholm before, so I jumped on, Google, on you know, Apple Maps and, and just found where this little town was, just so that I could say, oh, you know, it's about a three-hour drive west of Stockholm just sort of orienting people a little bit because sometimes you, you hear these little towns and you just don't have a, a picture in your head as to where this place is. Anyway, that was just, I was just trying to set people, you know, uh, giving them a bit of a stick in the yeah, ground. No, I, I, and and that's, that was really useful and it only takes a few seconds. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the beauties is that um, if you, you know, if you know a map of the world, you know where approximately where Sweden is, you know approximately where Stockholm is, and that you suddenly have an ability to to imagine the location of this place. Yeah. And it's one of the beauties of the uh, how time and place give the listener great context, and you kind of got something to build on then. Yeah, that's right. And of course, you know, with the magic of uh, products like Apple Apple Maps, I could actually work out what the driving distance and uh. time was. So. You know, it was um, it's a simple thing to do these days, not like the olden days. Um, <laughs> good, 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 good. What else? What else uh, jumped out for you? Oh, just the the surprise, the reveal, which was yeah. that they reversed the order, and the completely emergent benefit was that the injuries went down. Yeah. And when you think oh, it's, it makes a lot of sense, you know, why, why would you want a lot of your you know significant part of your population? Uh, using the footpaths at a time when they are dangerous. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I think you know, uh, yeah. For me, I, I like the the fact that it's something you can imagine straight away. You know, like clearing snow. We've probably seen pictures of people doing. It. I've never lived in a place that ever had to clear snow, so it's not like I've lived that experience. But we have business partners who. Uh, they're always talking about having they're shoveling the snow from around their house, etc. So you know we get a bit of a sense of it. Um, yeah, so I think it's you know it's an, it's an obvious um, you know sort of visual thing, but you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cool. So uh, how well do you use this in a business context? Well, what about making it better? Unless it's a perfect oh. story. Oof. Is that what you're saying, Ooh. Mark? A perfect story Ooh. here? Is that what, you, what I, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> not sure I'm gonna. I'm not sure I'm gonna go with uh, perfect. Oh, okay, you're, pre, right. you're preempting my score. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. My rating. Well, what can, what can make this one better? I think I can think of a few things. All right. Well, far away. Well, I'm just thinking that um, I don't know. Maybe maybe conjuring the image strong in a, in a more strongly more strongly way. There, that's good English mm. for you. Um, but yeah, trying to help picture it. I, I had a lovely thing to happen to me uh, today. Uh, so I was running a, a workshop and I was just trying to get people to come down and give a more specific example of what they were talking about. And it was the conservation uh, group. And it was from people from all around the world. And there was this guy there from Chile. And he was talking about a forest that they were conserving. Uh, and it was the local uh, inhabitants that were sort of doing all this work and he was helping out. And I said, and so he gave this description, you know, well, you know, we're working on this forest and, you know, it's, you know, we're making great progress and it's been integrated into the landscape. And, you know, like he was talking yeah, in those yeah, sort of yeah, terms, right? You know, 27,000 hectares and, uh, yeah. you know, 42 species. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, all those, uh, you know all it's got a strong things. rainforest canopy. 
Yeah. So I said to him, uh, so have you been to the forest? And he goes, oh, yeah, of course. I've, I've been many times. And I said, so what was it, what's it like? What's it like when you go into this forest? And he, he said, Sean, just imagine you're walking across a, a rice paddy and your shoulders are burning from the heat. You're melting. It's so hot, right? And there in front of you are trees that stretch up for 100 feet with a beautiful canopy. And you walk into the forest and the temperature drops 10 degrees. And as you're bathing this cool sort of breeze and, and the moisture is starting to, you know, land on your hands and, and arms, the, the locals there uh, welcome you into their village. And they start singing a song of welcome. You know, so he starts telling this really deep. And I could see everyone on the Zoom call. Their eyes were just widening. And they were just drawn into this gentleman's description of, of this forest. And I said to them, so you see what's happening here, right? He's giving a specific moment. He's recalling and his voice has changed because he is reliving that experience, right? And, and that's what really you know, has an impact on, on, on people. So, you know, when, when you see that, you go, yeah, that's, that's the real power of storytelling, isn't it? When you, when you're yeah. able to conjure that, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I imagine a lot of people in the, you know, in that kind of very technical data-driven world, they'll be going, but, but surely that's not really, you know, like, how can you do that and be professional? And, you know, surely they just want the data and how quickly just by saying you, this is not about somehow performing some thing. It's just a very business-like depiction of the context. So that gives your your data more meaning, more memorability, and yeah. more impact. Just a little vignette. You'd still yeah. cover all these data. He'd still spend ninety nine percent of his time at that higher level. But just just jumping down there just gave them a totally different experience of what he was talking about. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's what I mean. You know. Uh, if you can do that in some way, you know that's going to make a difference. Yeah. Uh, let me think. Let's go. Let's go to how would we use this story, Mark? Well, as you've described, uh, helping people, you know, get people understand that stories are facts wrapped in context and delivered with emotion. And yeah. the facts bit, stories are a delivery mechanism for, for your data. Yeah. Uh, another one that I, if you were asking people to kind of, uh, think outside the box, you yeah. could use that example. Go da da da, and they, and they looked at this completely unexpected results. Yeah. So, where are the unexpected places we need to look? Something yeah. like that, and also things like getting people to realise that there are, you know, sort of baked in assumptions in all the things that we do, and we can't see them, right? And it's almost by by accident you know, these guys you know, sort of uh, reveal this, this assumption that was built into how they did things. And so the question would be, you know, like, A, you would help them reveal it, you know, by telling the story, that would encourage them at the end of the story, you could sort of say, so what hidden assumptions do we have in this organisation? You know, what are the things that we're taking totally for granted and we can't see? It's a tough question, right? Because how mm. can you see something you can't see? Well, I think what you do is you it find things which are tiny little indicators and become curious about that, you know, and sort of, sort of expanded or do a whole bunch of what ifs. The other thing that can be really revealing is doing a pre-mortem, 
right? So, you know, pre-mortems are great for just revealing the unsaid. I mean, remember yeah. doing, I remember doing one for a mining company in Western Australia, and it was all about essentially their mining models that they used, you know, to work out which way to dig their mines. And um, we did a pre-mortem at the end. There was probably 20 guys in this uh, activity over two days. The pre-mortem revealed all the things that they hadn't thought of, which was going to kill their project. And guess what they had up on the wall? It was all people-related things. So for two days, they didn't talk about any people-related things until they got to the pre-mortem. That was the hidden assumption for them. Yeah. And just for people who are listening that don't know what a pre-mortem is, you simply ask the question. So imagine you you pose the the scenario. So imagine we're now two years in the future and the project is a complete failure. What happened to cause that failure? And then just get people to... And so as Sean's just described, in this case, they went, whoa, actually... It's all the people stuff. Yeah. And it's a it's a great way to get people to focus on the things that really will matter. Yeah. Yeah. If you because did a search the- on pre-mortem on our website, you'd find a few articles, a few blog posts that we've written about pre-mortems. A guy called Gary Klein uh, first um, talked about it in one of his books on decision-making. He's a decision-making psychologist. Um, good. Okay. So, oh, the, so there's a couple of things, a couple of ways of using that story, Mark. I think that's... Um, yeah, that's good. That'll get you going. Yep. All right. So, gonna, are we ready for give a, a score for this? Yeah, we we oh, well definitely give a rating. And this for me is a very specific purpose story. Uh, probably not one I'd use a lot, but I would totally use it in the context of having a conversation about data storytelling. So, in that specific. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven. Are you going all out on the seven? Oh, I, I reckon the seven, yeah. the seven for us is like a five. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you reckon? If you, if you renormalize, if we renormalize it, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think this is a very specific story, right? It only has, you know, but it would be a good one having your back pocket for those situations where you're trying to get people to think more broadly about. Um, hidden assumptions. So, you know, I'm, I, for me, it's an eight. Um, might even go 8.25. Oh, or <laughs> you've, taken, you've taken the scoring to a whole new level now. I know, I'm going quarters. That's right. Fantastic. Radio. anything else we need to uh, share with everyone on the podcast? I think we're good to go with that one. It's a wrap. It's a wrap, except to let everyone know this is our 98th episode. So we're going to have to come up with something special on our 100th episode in a couple of episodes time, a couple of weeks time from now. Okay. With that said, thanks again, everyone, for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. And of course, tune in next week, next Tuesday morning, I believe, uh, where we share another episode on how to put your stories to work. Bye for now. Bow, 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 bow. Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.